Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. Hello and welcome to another edition of the worst territory in the world. Of course, we cover the Central States territory in professional wrestling history, then and now, mostly centered around Kansas City, Missouri. I am your host, Chris Goff. Uh, my partner in crime, Gabe Miller, not here for this episode, but nevertheless, it was going to be a long episode, I knew, because this was going to be an interview with my longtime friend, Randy Birch. Randy has been a longtime Kansas City DJ on radio. He became ultra status in Kansas City when he was the MC or play-by-play guy at the Woodlands Racetrack, which was a huge deal in Kansas City. If you lived around here, you knew when the Woodlands came in. Came in in the early 90s, and it was a horse racing and dog racing track, and it provided a, a huge entertainment complex for the Kansas City area. And Randy... Uh, as he'll tell you in this interview, was a guy that uh, basically didn't really want to work there, but tried out and became the voice of the racetrack. And everyone in Kansas City knows Randy Birch because of that. But I digress. Randy spent the last 20 years of Bob Geigel's life going to lunch with him every Tuesday. And he had a great time spending uh, countless hours with Bob getting all the great stories that Bob would give him from all the former Kansas City wrestlers that would have been so great to be a fly on the wall for a lot of these stories. But I knew Randy would be an awesome interview to listen to his stories about Bob and his thoughts on growing up in Iowa. So he got to see a lot of these guys on television anyway. But once he came to Kansas City, he got to be great friends with not only Bob Geigel, but Bulldog Bob Brown, Rufus R. Jones, and Mike George, who all worked at the Woodlands Racetrack. That's how I got to know these guys. When I was a young kid, I went there with my grandfather and met all these awesome pro wrestlers that I had heard about for so many years. And, uh, you know, that started off my relationship with Bob Geigel when I was just a small teenager. Anyway, Randy Birch, great interview. He talks a lot about professional wrestling and also a lot about the Woodlands Racetrack. So if you're from Kansas City, you'll get a A double whammy here with uh, historical thoughts on both those things. But without further ado, here's my friend, Randy Birch. It's the worst territory. I am joined now by a longtime friend of mine, but he was a longtime radio personality in Kansas City and, uh, gosh, longtime voice of the the Woodlands racetrack that I grew up in with my grandfather. And uh, he's now the owner of BigJackpotBetting.net. His name is Randy Birch. Randy, thanks for joining. Yes, Chris, it's a delight to be here today, and I want you to know one thing. What's that? I bet I met your granddad, and and, and you, you realized at a young age what was beautiful about the woodlands it was a social event it you was and your granddad would talk about that your whole life you'd go out there and uh you'd meet people i i knew the new waitresses i knew all i knew all the uh I, the cooks i knew everybody all the all the players i go from table to table and it was a wonderful it was like a little city it's like a social ex- living in a small town it was wonderful no it really. was it was, and I, I mean, it, for those of you not in Kansas City that didn't grow up with the Woodlands, that was before any of the casinos were in Kansas City. It was the, the first gambling place in Kansas City, and it was a dog track and race and horse track, and it's gone now. Yeah. But, I mean, for years, Randy was the voice, and everyone knew Randy, and uh, that's, you know, that is how Randy, the, the, that's where you got to meet Bob Geigel and all the guys that wrestled in Kansas City very well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had, we had uh, all the sports uh, folks would come out one time, but I met, you know, I hear I had been in radio 20, 30 years at that point. And, and uh, now, now all these people I interviewed with a, standing behind a microphone were suddenly my friends. You know, Whitey Herzog would come up to the booth uh, out there. Uh, we had people that were, Rick Sutcliffe would come every Saturday night. And, uh, the, ever the Minnesota Twins would come to town. Tom Kelly owned Greyhounds, and he, he'd be up in the upstairs in the suite up there. That's where I met uh, the late Kirby Puckett and all of those people. It was just a... It was a wonderful experience, and you know, I I have nothing against casinos. I think they're wonderful. I I, I do a voice work for them and podcasts for them across the country, but they don't have the social element. There's not people rooting for each other. They 
you know, there's not people having fun, having fun, interacting with each other. That that was, but you know, that but they they serve a purpose. They do a great job too. But uh, it it doesn't have the social element, and the and the people. You know, Bob Geigel was was the first security guard they hired at the Woodlands who was in wrestling. He brought in uh, the late great Rufus R. Jones uh, and uh, Bulldog Bob Brown, who used to wrestle with for years here in town. And then Mike George came in and, you know, old wrestlers would come back to the racetrack because Bob was a central promoter. So whenever there was uh, an old wrestler that would come to town, whether it was uh, Danny Little Bear or uh, who was who was ever visiting, would all look up Bob because Bob was like their godfather. He was the guy who booked matches for them. So they yeah. would come, and Bob is a great guy, so they would, they would come visit all the time. And uh, that's where I met Andre the Giant. In fact, the late Andre the Giant I met at the Woodlands. I mean, just the, and the, and the, and the stories they would tell about the matches and stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Bob, it was always, it was always like, once you're my friend, you're my friend. And, and every Tuesday, and I left the Woodlands in 1996 when I was working too many hours and cutting back. And I worked, I started doing some PA for the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, and, uh, so I was doing all these things, and but Bob, Bob would stay every Tuesday. Randy, where, where, when are we going for lunch? Where are we going to lunch next week? That's what he he would do. And uh, so, ironically, when Bob passed away in 2015, uh, his family picked his favorite restaurant in North Kansas City, and uh, Harley Race was there, and all of uh, Mike George, all the old wrestlers. We had a lunch, and we all started telling Bob Geigel stories. And, we laughed our rear ends off, cried, and went home. And <laughs> yeah, no, he, he was a great guy. He was beloved by everyone that loved that knew Bob well. Oh. Loved Bob Geigel. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And he, and he, and we would on Saturday nights. The place would be packed. If you ever came out on Saturdays, you couldn't move. I mean, I had a I had a guest list on Saturdays between races. The the gal at the at Wilco would call me up, say, Randy, do you know this person? Uh, they want to get a free pass upstairs. So, yeah, I know that person. And I got so, if I didn't know him, I'd say, yes, I knew him. Just to, just to get it done with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah so, sure. So, so we, but Bob Geigel and I, every Saturday night, would would sit down there and visit in the security uh, guard post, which was right to the left of the entrance, so the main, main entrance. So we'd sit and laugh our asses off about the stories I made up every night. And the stuff that, it was a carnival there every night and uh, you know one night i went in there was a hole in the wall and i said what the hell happened here bob said well a guy got a little too rambunctious and he started yelling at people and, and i warned him i just threw him through the wall <laughs> i mean he could do it that guy was still even even at 80 some years old the guy's hand was the size of a you know a full oh, yeah. it was a catcher's oh, yeah. mitt it was oh he was unbelievable he, he called me in the booth about stuff what i had at the racetrack the reason i I knew what was going on at the racetrack is the employees would call me. Somebody would win a lot of money and the security, I knew everybody there. So I knew everything that was going on all the time. And I'd start talking about people and suddenly they realized listening, he's talking about me and he knows what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> one, one Saturday, Bob Geigel calls me up and he says, Randy, you never guess what happened. I go, what's that? He goes, Oh, first of all, he always said his name, even though he didn't have to say his name. He said, Hey, Bob Geigel. And I, I'd say, Hey, Bobby. He'd say, you know, I, you aren't going to believe this. He said, I went down to the bathroom and a lady is sitting dead on the floor. She, 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 she's, I said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. What happened? He said, uh, she, well, she was doing drugs and freebasing. So I found out who her boyfriend was up at the kettle club. He said, now, are you sitting down, Randy? Are you ready for the rest of this? Said, yeah, I'm sitting down, Bob. He goes, I get up there and I find this guy. And the guy said, yeah, I, I just met her last night. He said, and I'll be down in a minute. He said, are you ready for this? And I go, yes. He goes, he said, I'll be down after I bet the Daily Double. Oh, my God. I mean, but, uh, you probably have way more of those stories that happen on a weekly basis, I'm sure. He's, he's, oh, they were just, oh, it was just a wonderful uh, Rufus R. Jones had the ringside restaurant. He opened up at 23rd and Vine. And I was single at the time. So, you know, people were trying to set me up with their daughters. And I said, I don't want to, you know, I was, I was working like 80, 90 hours a week. I didn't have time for myself, more or less than other person. Sure. And, and, and so Rufus says, Randy, he said, uh, 
I'm opening up. I got my liquor license. I'm opening up uh, Sunday night. Come on out Sunday night after the races. I said, I don't know, Rufus. I got to do morning radio on Monday. I don't know if I can. Oh, yes, you can. Get your ass over there after the Sunday night. So we get done with a Sunday matinee at 5 o'clock. I go to Rufus's place. It's packed. And he's, he's, he has food everywhere. And he's, he's passing out free beer. And, of course, who's going to pass up any free beer and food? He just keeps, he keeps giving me food. And he introduced me to people. And I'm dancing all night. I'm, I'm the only white person in there, I believe. And not that it bothers me. It was so much fun. And then I suddenly, Rufus said, Rufus said, don't you have a morning show to do? It's like, so I stayed up all night and I went from ringside to KFKF and did the morning show. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think being in broadcasting, I've definitely had nights like that, especially on the road where you just well, did, like, what's sleep? Oh, I did during the, during the World Series. I stayed up all night. I interviewed I interviewed drunks in Westport. They were turning over cars, and I went back to KLSI and did the morning show. Spliced all the people together, all the people I interviewed, spliced them all together, did the morning show at 5 o'clock. I did that. You know, you think about that in your life, and you think, man, that was sure sure fun, even though you stayed up all night. And uh, It's just, just wonderful, wonderful memories like that. You know, somebody somebody told me I should write another book. I wrote a book about the Woodlands that uh, ended up. You were nice enough to do a TV show, Fun of the Run. Oh, I, I love that book and, because I mean, it it obviously reminds me of the good old days of that. And oh so yeah, front yeah. Row seat and, for that. Yeah, it was great. It was great fun, and, and uh, you know, and you're. I really thought you did you did a fabulous job in Fun of the Run. I mean, you captured what it was really about. And I really thought it might change lawmakers' mind to give us a decent tax rate, but it was all baked in. The casinos had the lawmakers bought, so it wasn't going to change. But uh, anyway, we sure gave it a good try, and it was a great show. You were a, you were a huge advocate for the woodland. If anyone doesn't know, I, I used to work for this station here in town called Metro Sports, and it was there was a I did a bunch of little documentaries with very little budget. But the best thing I could do is just go interview anyone I could find that would talk to me about it, try to find yeah. some B roll and pictures, and put some music to it, and try to put yeah. something on the air. Great. And that's what Fun on the Run was, was about the Woodlands. Because at the time, they were still trying to get the Woodlands back possibly open up again. And since then, yeah. it's been demolished. But at the time, we thought, oh, oh let's try to do oh, as I, much I, as we I, it, just, it just breaks. What, what breaks my heart is are the people that live in Kansas City, Kansas. You know, that I, and I, I got to know a lot of them. Like the, the guy, All the guys at the GM Ford plant would always come out to the racetrack. And what has happened is, is, is the, the politics of it all. Uh, first of all, uh, voters passed slot machines at the Woodlands in 2007. There's supposed to be 2,300 slot machines in there. That's under state law. Sure. It was passed. It was passed by voters, 82% of the voters. And then Kansas comes in because uh, the, the, we had some corrupt lawmakers that were bought by, uh, by the casino uh, folks, and uh, they, they doubled the tax, 60% for the same slot machines the, the casinos pay 22% for so, of course, nobody's going to do business like that. Not at all, no. They, they just tax, they tax them out of business. And the sad part of it is, is the people that can least afford it on the east side of I-435 are all paying for the freebies that they get on the other side of the freeway. And uh, their property taxes, of course, have gone through the roof because the Woodlands are bringing millions of dollars every year. Millions of dollars. Yeah. Even, when, even, when, even when we didn't have great crowds, we still were simulcasting and off-track money. You know, yeah. God, God, God bless the people that uh, that have the trucking place that's there now. But <laughs> the the, wood, the woodlands would would make more than an hour than they'd make in a month. Sure, but, sure. And uh, I talked so to Geiger. That, we talked to Shots Duncan last uh, like last yeah. couple shows, and she is the daughter of Bob Geigel. And we talked yeah. about how. And you can give me more stories about this because I know you checked in with them and ate lunch with them all the time. But I mean, I could not believe that Bob Geigel continued to be a security guard at the Woodlands until basically he couldn't do it anymore, which meant was well, like he was in his high eighties, basically. He was in his high eighties. I'd go out and visit him. Uh, Teresa would make him a, a Christmas package every year, and he'd have to he'd have to come to the gate and unlock the gate, and then you'd go in the office and you'd visit with him. <laughs> Bob was a hunter, you know, a rabbit hunter. Yeah. And Bob said, "Hey, Randy, you want you want me to do you, do you like goose?" And I never ate goose in my life. I said, "No, I don't think so." Bob, he said, "Well, I got some geese out back." He said, "I'll shoot you a goose." <laughs> and he, we're walking back, and there were geese walking in the back of the where the dogs used to be. And it was it was sad, but uh, what I'll never get over, and I, I've 
I've never really made this public before, but I do know this because I was involved. I did Bob's obituary uh, for his wife, and the night I found out he died, uh, he broke his hip. He fell and broke his hip while he was at the Woodlands in the security, in the security. And, of course, they had like six-hour shifts. For several years, the, there's only the general manager there and security guards. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're, surely Kansas is going to give us a, an equal tax, which they never did. So uh, Bob fell, and he was there for a long time before somebody found him. Oh, that's horrible. And he died. And I, I will tell this to the corrupt lawmakers. You can live with yourself for what you did to the Woodlands, but what you did to Bob Geigel, uh, I, I won't forget that anytime soon. Anytime soon. And, uh, yeah, his uh, daughter yeah. told us about his broken hip, and I, I had no uh, idea oh, about yeah. that until oh, she yeah. said oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, I mean, you know, you can live with that and, and be corrupt and take people's money, but there's there's there are many things that happened because of that. And he was a good person. And he shouldn't have he shouldn't have died that way. You know, I, I I get emotional about this stuff, but, you know, it goes you could take my job away by by all of this. It, I ended up benefiting from all of it because now. Now I own a business because one of my players set up an online business. You know, you, you hurt a lot of people by taking their employment and taking their lives away from them. But you literally took his life away. And, 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 I, and, I, and, I, won't, and I haven't, I haven't told anybody that outside of, you know, the Geigles know it. Uh, Teresa, my wife, knows it. But, you know, I, I think I could definitely say so. Congratulations, guys. You did a great job. I hope you live with your corruption. And what you did to Bob Geigel is unforgivable. No, unforgivable. I, I agree. I mean, he, he was as a pillar of the community oh, up there as well. Oh, so, he, he, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, but that's you know that's the way people are now. Oh well, you know, I, I always got when they when I explained the Woodlands tax to people, they'd say, "Oh well," you know, they'll all those employees will find something else to do. And I'm like, well, you better hope your business isn't the next one that's taxed out of business because they don't like you. You could be the next one, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah but that's, that's everybody's attitude. Everybody's attitude. Well, it, it doesn't affect me, so that that's fine. That is, well, that's it, true. If, if, if you are in Kansas City, Kansas, it does affect you. Your property taxes are the highest in the state. It does affect you. <laughs> but that, anyway, that's here, neither here nor there, but uh, I sure miss Bobby. And, uh, oh, yeah. I talked to Scott's and Michaela different times, and I love their mom. Uh, Bob, Bob would have people. Bob, I went up to his house several times. We had lunches together, and uh, he was just a... He was a great guy, and he really, like a lot of people, when the Woodlands went, it took their life away. It took their life. They, that was their central meeting place. That's where their friends were. Uh, it, it took a, you know, it, it, it just did that. But, the, hey, life goes on, and, uh, you know, I've gone on to bigger and better things, and, and everybody else does. But uh, Well, I've always, you know, you get, I've always enjoyed that. I've enjoyed talking to you about all the, you know, through the years that we've been been together at uh, Metro Sports or or this or just seeing you out and about. But I and I enjoy talking all these stories about you. But one, this podcast is called the worst territory in the world because people like uh, Ric Flair always said negative things about Kansas City, and because and it's sort of tongue in cheek because you know the people that grew up in Kansas City and watched the oh, Central yeah. States territory, they loved it. And I know you're an Iowa guy like Bob. Yeah. Oh you, yeah. When you were a kid, did you like how much much wrestling did you watch? Did you know these guys when you were growing up? I I, I knew them on television every Saturday. They were on the, they were on Channel Seven, KWWL in Waterloo. My brother and I watched them. I watched Bulldog Bob Brown. I watched Bob Geigel. Uh, the the character the characters were just beautiful. I mean, you, you had you had one person that, that would play the bad guy, another play the good guy. Then I went up to Minneapolis when I went to college, and every Saturday night. <laughs> Me and my door buddies would go to downtown Minneapolis, and uh, that's where Greg Ganyu was based. AWA. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and uh, we would watch. Uh, I mean, I saw Nick Bockwinkel there. I saw uh, the late Chris Taylor, the uh, Iowa State. Uh, he was a uh, Olympian, Olympian, right? Yeah, he was Olympian. And uh, I saw him do the Kaplash on Nick Bockwinkel one night in the <laughs> ring of a cave, did. And uh, they had a little Tokyo Joe there one night. And, uh, and this is we're sitting in the in the second row at the Civic Auditorium downtown Minneapolis, and my my buddies and I are drinking beer and we're sitting there watching the uh, and uh, Tokyo Joe, this lady behind us said he's got something in his pants, he's got something, he's got a foreign object in his pants, 
and she's standing up in front and she's bouncing up and down and just hysterical. <laughs> Tokyo Joe gets to the top rope, but he says, sit on and shut up, you fat pig. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. Now. And you and that's pretty, I, I have beer running up my nostrils. <laughs> Oh, I loved I love the trash talk. I would trash talk, oh. and then them trashing, you know, talking trash back, which is always oh, the best. Bull, and bulldog, bulldog, Bob Brown, the thing with they had the twins, uh, Murdy and Gertie Height. Yeah, Murdy, yes, they would be at ringside, and they just hate it. They throw hairpins at Bob, and they get so mad at him. And Bob, Bob would tell them to go, go, go wash, wash their faces, and get away from me. And oh, it was just, I, I you know. I, I know these two wouldn't mind me telling you the story. Uh, they're, they both asked Bob Geigel and Bulldog. but It's not the Bill Wilson story, is it? No, the Bill Wilson story. Is, I, that, that's so convoluted. It's, uh, it's classic, though. No matter. It is, cla- <laughs> it is cla- it's just it's, it's just the best. Have you told your listeners this story? Well, Shots, Shots retold it uh, on the oh, show. It was, because It was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, but the first story I'm thinking about is, Bulldog used to like to pick girls out he'd like to meet that are in the audience. And, uh, you know, maybe set up a little rendezvous later. And uh, sure. he, he's a single guy at the time. So, Normal. Hey, why not? Why not? Well, you know, they're, these people are my fans. So, Eddie, anyway, he picks out this gal, and, and Bob Geigel was his wingman. And uh, they had a little rendezvous <laughs> uh, between matches and Bob Geigel watched the door and Bulldog Bob Brown went in the restroom with his gal and, and they're getting a little frisky together and all of a sudden there's there's a ping like something fell on the floor and <laughs> Geigel said, Brown, are you all right? <laughs> and, and Bulldog says, Yeah, damn it. And Bob Geigel opens up the door and the woman had a wooden leg that fell. On the floor. Oh my God. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> We get into them about that bulldog forever. I mean, they had some, but the Bill Wilson story. Bill Wilson was a was a promoter of wrestling, and uh, Bill Wilson his uh, his wish was when he passed away was he wanted his urns uh, to be uh, scattered at uh, Memorial Hall, and Bob Geigel had had his urns, as I understand. And uh, he had it in his garage and kept forgetting to do something with it. And finally, uh, Vera said, Bob, this is really getting spooky. Let's get rid of Bill Wilson. <laughs> of course, as any wife would. <laughs> so Bill, first of all, he thought he wanted his family to do it. So Bob, Bob shipped his urns to his family. That's the first thing he wanted to do. So Bob's wrestling in St. Joe one night as a promoter. And, and he gets he gets a FedEx package. Bob, there's a FedEx package. <laughs> it was Bill Wilson's family sent the urns back to Bob <laughs> in a in a jar. So finally, on a Sunday, they're at the swimming pool. A guy goes with his daughters and, you know, let's go let's go get rid of Bill Wilson <laughs> once and for all. <laughs> so they got in the car, they drove over to Memorial Hall, and they sprinkled his urns finally out of the yard. In the in the yeah, the steps of Memorial Hall, he says, "There you go, the Bill. See you later." <laughs> and, then, and then Schott said that uh, that grass was never greener after that. It was never greener. <laughs> I know that's such a classic Kansas City wrestling story. So every, oh, I mean, oh, hey, yeah, talk oh. about Memorial Hall because that building is like if you've never been to Kansas City, the building is oh, just so awesome and a, a throwback because they're not going to spend oh, yeah. that much money and that much marble and there's just the lobby alone oh, no. is beautiful. Oh, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful place. We had Bulldog Bob Brown's funeral there. Oh, really? The was, yes, the place was packed. Uh, Bob Geigel uh, calls me, and we go out there. And uh, Bob is the MC, and he gets that. Uh, people start telling stories about Bulldog up there in the play, play. There's a lot of people there, and Bob says, "Now I don't want you folks to feel bad about Bulldog dying." He said, "Because he would want it that way. He'd want, he'd want you to." be happy about everything. So he says, well, I put together some memories of Bulldog and Bob hits this VCR tapes and it shows Bulldog doing all of his crap with the announcement in the ring and, all the, and how he was hanging on the fans. And we all left there just dying laughing. Just laughing. I mean, you, but based on I what mean, I've heard about 
Bulldog Bob Brown, that's the way he would have wanted it. I oh, mean, that's the way he wanted it, yeah. What, can, you, can you tell me about him? Because, you know, the two guys that I never got to meet, I did get to meet Roger Kirby and obviously Bob Geigel and yes. Harley Race, but yes. I never got to meet Bulldog Bob Brown and Rufus R. Jones. Oh. And Sharks oh, told us a story about Bulldog where, and I, I think you saw it in the documentary because I think Bob talked about it, but, like, right. they, they'd bring him to, like, Thanksgiving and he would just, like, crap over all their food saying, like, this is oh, horrible. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> was that him yeah, in a he, nutshell? He, oh, yeah, he was. You you didn't know the the classic way you knew a bulldog would like you is if if he if he gave you crap all the time he gave me crap endlessly endlessly Randy you're too loud you're I'm trying to relax down here and all you, this here comes Woody stuff you're too loud you're making these people crazy and all of it I mean he was if he if he gave you a ratchet if he didn't spend any time with you and didn't talk to you you know he didn't like you you knew he liked you when 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 he would. He would needle you all the time. And uh, I, I remember at Rufus R. Jones' funeral, it was the Christ the King Church. It was on a Saturday. And it was in, in November. And Bulldog Bob Brown is at one end of the casket, and Bob Geigel's at the other end. And they're carrying Rufus, who was a big man, down these steep steps, trying to uh, load him in the hearst. And uh, Geigel is at one side. He says, Bulldog, are you okay? Because it looked like Bob was going to pass out. I mean, it looked like he, he was, he, he didn't know if he was overcome that his friend was dying. And, and you would think that he would say, oh, I feel terrible that Rufus is dying and this is the last time. You know, you thought it was something emotional. No. Bulldog yells out. We're right in the middle of all these people. And Bulldog yells out, damn, Rufus is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that was, Bulldog was just a beautiful, I had a, I had a situation where, uh, and I was pretty well known at this time of the year in the nineties, because I was doing the, here comes Woody nine times a week. It was television. It was the highest rated show at 10 o'clock called the woodlands a week, which was on channel 62. And, uh, so you could, I could go anywhere at that point, too many places without someone asking me to say, here comes Woody and all of this. So whenever I would go somewhere, uh, there was always someone that wanted me to do something. So one time I got, I got a shot, uh, for, I had allergic reaction to a shot, uh, for a little tick I had in my jaw and it just sent me into, you know, I almost like a depression. And I, and I, anybody who knows me knows that I, I'm happy, go lucky every day. Oh never yeah. Day. I've never been depressed, but I, I suddenly didn't want to eat. I didn't want to go anywhere. And I was by myself and, uh, so anyway, I, I had one guy said, well, just st- stop taking that medicine they gave you for jaw kick. And I was fined in like two days. But anyway, word got out that I might have been, go- been having depression or that I was going nuts. When in fact, I just had an allergic reaction to a shot. So I get to the racetrack and there's Bulldog one night. He says, you better go home. He says, you look depressed to me. You aren't going to be any good tonight. You better go home. <laughs> Well, I mean, look, I can relate to that because most of my friends, I talk that way to them as well. So, you know, I mean, that's, that is a true shine of camaraderie. That was him every day. That, that was him every day. Uh, you know, if you, if that was Bulldog and he was, I mean, there was a time they, one night people said they were going to go down and wrestle Wichita and Bulldog thought he was having a heart attack in the car on the way to Wichita on I-35. And got, he said, Bob, you better take me to the hospital or something. He thought he was dying, have a heart attack. Here he had passed some kidney stones. So he passes the kidney stones, Geigel says. And he said, we better get you back to Kansas City and cancel this. And he goes, no, we're going. So he passed kidney stones in the hospital on the way in Bressel that night. <laughs> Gee, I mean, you know, you hear so many stories like that of that era. Nowadays, they get off for a month. But now... <laughs> Back then, it was like, no, I want to get my draw from the night, you know? I mean, that, oh, that was how it there was. There were stories. Oh, there were stories. What Tom Andrews, who's a great friend. God, I haven't seen Tom in a long time. He lives uh, up north in Excel. He, actually, he actually has passed away. He has. I oh. didn't know that because I was going through the sort of a lineup of the documentary. And, I mean. I'm ran, so sorry. There's so, was, there's so few yeah. people still around. And he, he passed away yeah. in the last few, handful of years. Yeah. Well. I, I talked to Mike George, so he's still around. I know that. I talked to him all the time. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah, we had Mike George on here, and he is still uh, working security at 7th Street Casino, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I do too. He's got, he, he stayed with it. 
he's a great guy. But but Tom, one night they're wrestling downtown with with and he, he and Andre the Giant went down to Denny's, which is still there in downtown Kansas City to eat afterwards. And Andre the Giant <laughs> he said, I'd I'd like five. He lifts up his hand like he'd like five and she the waitress says, Oh, number five on the menu and, and Tom Andrews pulled her aside and said, No, he'd like five entrees. <laughs> 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 I know. Yeah, the the stories of Andre's eating and, and drinking are off the charts. They really are. Oh, so you know the great you know the stories were were just. And sadly, you know, I'm I'm in my sixties now, and Bill Grigsby, who used to announce the race, used to announce uh, wrestling, used to mm. tell me all the great stories of the racetrack. They passed, and Bob Geigel's passed, and Rufus R. Jones, and Bulldog, but they were great people. I, you did such a great job, Chris, on Casey on the mat. That was a fabulous, fabulous capturing of of the of an era that people. It's hard to explain to young people in their in their twenties the excitement every Thursday night uh, that would take place in Memorial Hall. Or the excitement at the Woodlands. The excitement. I mean, I I I literally when I call a race, there were there were six seven thousand people there. We had seven million people in five years. Yeah. Came to that racetrack. Amazing. And you could, and when I would call the race, I go, and, and before I had, could get Woody out of my mouth, he was like, it was like the, the sound of the people coming through the floor. The anticipation was unbelievable. I you mean, had a like, great Whoa. gimmick. That, you're like a wrestler announcer in that way. You had the, you had your gimmick was the here comes Woody, and everyone that was your calling card, and you became known for it. And everyone, under, yeah, everyone yeah. over the age of like forty knows that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and I sit here and I tell my I tell my grandkids all the time. I've got a wall of broadcasting plaques at what Missouri broadcasters or whatever. <laughs> a wall, a wall, and all I've ever known for is three words. Here comes Woody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all it takes. You just need one good catchphrase, and the rest that's is it. under that's the. That's it. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I, I did it. I literally did it. I did it at a funeral in the parking lot to entertain some people from there. I did it at wedding receptions. <laughs> I did it. I mean, for some reason, it always made people laugh. It made them feel good. So I just kept, you know. And and that was when when the woodlands closed. I realized that that was that was the end of that. And but you know what what ended up happening with all of that, because of the fact that we were on the uh, simulcasting on the dish, yeah. I became more pop. I became more popular at other places almost than I was at the woodlands. Oh wow! So so when they set when they set up this, when Jimmy Smith at Track Data, who loved my work, set up. Uh, this chat room and, and did contracts with racetracks. Everybody said, Oh yeah, Randy, we know Randy. Yeah, that's fine. So everybody knew me, even though I didn't know them at other places. That's really, so that place to say that place has been central in my life. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, it's, it's, it is something I didn't even want to do. Something I didn't even want to do that. I, I just decided on a lark when somebody asked me to come out to try to do it. And, and, uh, Gee whiz. Well, it's, it's, it's anything new like that, Randy. You know, you didn't know. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. you go in the world from morning radio or whatever to go do yeah. something like that. I mean, oh, yeah. and now you're. I've been, part of, I've been part of three startups in my life. One was the Woodlands uh, here and a, and a couple of radio stations. I will tell you, the magic of that is uh, you really, since you're not compared to anyone else, there's no one to compare you to. You can basically do whatever you want. Sure. And it's, it, and, and the magic of it is, is uh, you know, just been so blessed and. Uh, it, but the wrestlers were just the greatest guys. And uh, I think, uh, mat, matter of fact, it, uh, certain Tuesdays, I should call Mike George up and see if he wants to have lunch some Tuesday just for old times because we did it. I mean, we were there. And the thing about Bob Geigel is he knew where every hole-in-the-wall restaurant, places we had never heard about. He'd give us directions to. He said, you got to try this place. <laughs> got to try this. He knew. And, and when we would go in, the waitresses to him, people would ask him for his autograph. Uh, well, we'd sit there and... Uh, and, you know, this was like 20 years after he stopped wrestling. I sure. Mean, he, he, we would go from, and uh, he, he'd say, I mean, we'd, we'd go to the casinos that, that we were competing against and eat lunch there. And Bob would say, I don't know if this buffet is as good as it was. Randy, let the, are we coming here next week or not? <laughs> <laughs> so so get, some things I wanted to ask you about, Bob, though. Did you ever go to the tender trap? No. He told me about it, though. He said it was unbelievable. He said, "Here's what here's what Kansas City needs to do." He, I kept he and I would have a running argument. I I would say we need to have a downtown arena, and he said, "I don't want a downtown arena. I don't want to pay for 
sub makes make some sports uh, mogul a lot of money. But I knew that that was the spoke that the downtown needed, something to draw people downtown. He said, bras and booze, broads and booze, broads and booze, ready. That's what they need. Then he tell me about the tender trap and how wild that place was. <laughs> well, Shots was telling a story. She was telling stories about how, like, she's like, yeah, there were some cockroaches there a lot. And, uh, you know, like, it was, I mean, stuff that, like, well, thank God the health department didn't know about that then. But, uh, I mean, you know, but, I mean, I can only imagine when, when that's when, you know, guys weren't making so much money like athletes do now where they had, like, secondary things like that, and they were actually, you know, oh, they're yeah. actually working there sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bob, Bob owned that place and uh, had a great time with it. And, and you know, in those days, you know, it's hard to, for people to imagine before the Internet, there weren't a million other choices of, of stuff. Not, now I feel sorry for someone trying to get a niche, a young person. I don't know how anybody finds you. The pie is split very a lot, yes. Yeah, oh, it's just, it's, it's, so they had, they owned the wrestling, uh, which was a huge draw on television every weekend. So whatever business came from that, it was wonderful. You know, uh, uh, Bill Kirsten, the, who was, the, was the, the announcer, was an old friend of ours, he used to come Tuesday for lunch. Bill told me how it changed his love wrestling. I mean, you know, wherever he, go, wherever he goes, I, I, when I was announcing the Kansas City T-Bones uh, doing their, doing their uh, PA, I had him come, come out, Bill threw out the first pitch, and, and then, then I had him say, hello, wrestling fans, and people went crazy. And that was his catchphrase, yes. That was his catchphrase, and, and uh, so, so Kirsten told me one night he's driving back to Kansas City with uh, Andre the Giant, and uh, a bunch of young people are are giving Andre a hard time because he he beat the guy they were rooting for in the wrestling match. So they followed him up I thirty five, coming back to Kansas City, and uh, he says, "Mr. Bill, pull over, pull over the car," because they were they were. Going up alongside the moon is getting dangerous. They're yelling out the window, "Hey, Andre! Hey, Andre! You, you know this type of stuff." Just, just giving him a hard time. And he takes off his pants, puts it up, puts his rear end up against the window, and moons them. <laughs> that had to have been a pretty big window. Oh, oh, that was a big window. And Bill Kirsten said he they laughed all the way up to Kansas City. Thank you, Mister Bill. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I mean, the people, the characters were just. And there were some sad stories, you know, like uh, people that people that had legal problems, people that had money problems. You know, once wrestling kind of wound down, once it went on cable, mm-hmm. uh, which we people forget before cable, the local wrestling was the deal. You know, it was it was a big deal. I mean, that's and, and that's why people they, don't understand. Like, you know, people now today that have seen WWF, WWE on on you know internationally right. for decades now, they don't understand that it doesn't matter that someone does looks at Bulldog Bob Brown and says, "Well, he's just like a short fat guy," you know. But it didn't right. matter. He was a huge star to the people who grew oh, up yeah. here. So well, they knew how they, he knew how to play a crowd. He knew how to play the crowd. That's what that's what it was. Now it wasn't. Uh, it was fun stuff. It was just. It was you know, one of the things uh, I knew. I knew of the history of wrestling, which is why I love your show, Casey, on the mat. Uh, and I, I knew in the fifties, my grandmother used to watch Gorgeous George. He had hairpins and that. He oh yeah. A, he, he was he was he flamboyant, was, uh, flamboyant of this type of thing. And so, I thought it was funny since Mike George was there. I called him Gorgeous Mike George. <laughs> Which he is nothing like. Um, he is nothing like Gorgeous George. Everybody, he was the real Gorgeous George. Oh man, I bet he loved so, that. And, and, oh, poor Mike! I used to get him every night. and say, "Well," and I, I named the wrestlers they could meet after the races. I said, "Don't forget, Gorgeous Mike George is at the top of the escalator. <laughs> you'd like, if you'd like to meet him tonight." And I said, "And you know," I said, "I got to tell you this, friends. Gorgeous Mike George has guarded that escalator." For 15, 20 years, we've had terrorism all over the world, and not one person has stolen that escalator. And all the time, Mike has been there. <laughs> yeah, Mike. And if you know Mike George, he's a man's man. So calling him gorgeous is definitely gonna. He's that's definitely gonna make him uh, turn red oh, a little bit. Oh, he's just. He tried to set me up. He had. He had this. His wife at the time uh, tried to set me up with some gals, and I said, "Oh, no, you know, it was like." But anyway, I met a beautiful gal years later. I've been married for 18, 20 years now, and it's all been great. And so, you know, God looks out for you. Uh, but, boy, when you're working, I will tell you this. When you're working 80, 90 hours a week, and I was doing, I, we were doing nine performances a week at the Woodland. Yeah. My, our only day off was Tuesday. 
and out and we all loved each other so much from working at that place we all had to get together tuesday for lunch somewhere so here we are where you get nine performances a week and then when they went year round to try to support the horses which weren't doing well that's when i had to drop back and drop out of it a little bit because you know i had i had three months it was always like being a kid in school you went nine months a year and then you had three months off and then you then you you rejuvenate yourself get caught up in your sleep and then sure. you come back in september and you do it all over again and uh but it was uh when you work at a schedule like that but if i don't do all of that i have what i'm doing now on big jack with betty.net so it sure. all it all turned it, you know it couple, all turned out for the best and i couldn't the fun the fun thing about it was is i couldn't say no to the woodlands but not nobody at the woodlands except the people in the front office had any kind of benefits so I, I, I kept renewing my radio station contract so I could help have health insurance for my family sure. and all of these things. So what I really loved to do wouldn't totally take care of me, but it, it's something I didn't want to let go. And I, I held on to it as long as I could. And then I went back to three performances a week. And, but I still see all the wrestlers. Bob Geigel. I was going to say, no one held on to the Woodlands longer than Bob Geigel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, was there, he was there literally to the very end. To very yes, he was. He wasn't. He loved. He and he used to tell me. He said. He said, "You know, you know why they're taxing us." He said, "These casino people are taxing us." And I go, "Why?" He goes, "Randy, you know as well as I do, we would beat them if we had slot machines and live racing. We had more more outlets for people. We we would we would beat them." And and they own, they of course one of them owns Riverside and also KCK. So, you know that what what it came down to is our owner who had more money wouldn't buy lawmakers, and their owner did. Yeah. They're, 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 that's really what it came down to. And really yeah, to see to see Bob there at the, the, at the end, like you said, he was there. I would wow. go see him and interview him there, and he was at this little guard shack out there, and he yeah, is 85, right. 87 years old. I mean, oh, yeah. pretty amazing, oh, yeah. man. But oh, he he worked, he worked, and worked, and Bob didn't have to work. I was going to say, did Bob, he ever Bob tell you he did he do this to have purpose? Like, did he ever tell you yeah. why he kept doing it? Did you ever ask him? He, yeah, yes, because he loved people. And he and he and he loved doing the right thing. And to him, doing the right thing was to keep the woodlands going. It was it was it, it, we had for the people that worked there, we had an emotional attachment to each other. Uh, we'd go to you know when family when people would die at the racetrack, everybody would be there. When 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 people's family members would married, it wasn't just a place we went and spent a few hours. We we loved each other. I, I could definitely say that. There's no there's no two ways about it because. Part of something that was brand new, it made made tons of money, and then we saw people trying to pull it away from us, and so we all it, we, it was a it was a cause, as much as anything else. It was it was, doggone it, they're coming after my family member. They're doing that, you know, you sure. you 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 do stuff with people, and uh, that's why I didn't even I probably shouldn't even mention the Bob guy how it ended story, but I I, I will tell you this that you know, <laughs> you could be corrupt. You can take people's money and, and drive people out of business and take away their livelihoods. But when you literally put a person in that position, who's 80 some years old, boy, you know, you could live with that. I certainly could. I certainly could. And, but that, you know, that, that's the way it is. That's and, a tragedy. Uh, it was a tragedy the way it ended tragedy. for him. But... Tra- and, and again, the more people, I, you were the only guy in the media. And, it, and this kind of bothered me a bit because I was in the media for years. And I knew all the media people. And I'd promote all, all these people at the racetrack. When somebody was there, I'd say, this person's here, might be the greatest announcer ever. Uh, uh, you know, I, all, all of these things. And when I needed them to get behind us, to put pressure on lawmakers to even the tax, and that's all they wanted was the same tax for the same state-owned slot machines. That's all they wanted. There was no more than that. I couldn't get anybody to do stories on it or rally about it. I, you were the only guy. You were the only guy. All the people I knew, all the people I helped along the way. Uh, you know. Well, I'd hate to say I hate to sound cynical, but that's that's pretty normal, as you know. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, that, you know, that, and and they're all concerned about their passes at the NASCAR. They don't want to. Yeah, they don't want to tick off the wrong people when they're in the middle of everything. Yeah, yeah, but 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 as a journalist. When you see a wrong like that, you you have to do it. I wanted to do, do something on the woodlands, just like the same reason I wanted to do Casey on the Mad, just for nostalgic yeah. purposes, and yeah, you know but, that's all my own selfish thing, really. But but, uh, but people, yeah, but, but no, it's you you did the perfect thing because these people need to be remembered. These were important people. These weren't just you know these guys. The guys like they paved the way for all of us. 
all of these people do. They did, so, and, and so, one so, reason, you know, when I look at it now, and I'm glad I'm glad it still lives on YouTube, so does Fun on the Run, they all are up there yeah. forever, but when I look at Casey on the mat, I, I did that when I was pretty young, and I look, you know, like anything you did when you were younger, you're like, man, I could have done it so much better now, but, oh, yeah. but the problem was... They were all passing away. That's why I really wanted to do it because I'm like, these guys, oh, yeah. you know, they start hitting their 60s, 70s, and in wrestling yeah. years, that's like, you know, that's like dog years. So you're oh, like, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know how long. And as we've seen now, it's only well, been less than boy, 15 years since I came out, and they're all gone, most of them. Oh, yeah, some of them. Bob Geigel, amazingly, toward the end, was healthy as a horse. He was. He always, he always said he ate a lot of garlic. He'd say, Randy, eat a lot of garlic. That's the key? He was out, but, but boy, some of our friends... Like Harley Race was just less to oh. Well, what about what about Harley Race? Did you have did you have much interaction with him at all? Uh, just at the Tuesday lunches. Okay. He was never at, he was at the racetrack just a few times, and I watched him of course when I was a kid. Sure. He had the he had the great left jab, and boy, he was you know the Harley Race story. I mean, he survived a he survived a deadly accident uh, coming back from wrestling match. It's it's his toughness. They said they see he loses his leg. He almost lost his leg. Mm-hmm. The whole, and, and his toughness, uh, you know, there might have been a, there might have been better wrestlers over the years, but there's nobody tougher than Harley Race, man. You're oh, absolutely he, right, and he's known for that, and he's known as the oh, guy you never want to mess with. And his left jab, the th- certain things I remember, I used to kid Rufus R. Jones, uh, his deal was his head, his cocoa butt. Uh-huh. He called his cocoa butt, <laughs> and he and he and he 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 ram people with his head, and it was funny. And he also would wear these white trunks in the ring, and and. Uh, he was an African American great guy, and he'd wear these white trunks in the ring, and he'd start doing doing the doing the twist while he was in the ring. He was just <laughs> another story. Bob Geigel said he was doing the Children's Miracle Network live on television. Uh, they had a live remote where they're collecting money, uh, you know, a, uh, a telethon. So so Geigel shows up to try to uh, promote the thing. Bob, could you come out? And Bob says, "Sure." So he gets a guy there who thinks wrestling is fake. As the host, he said, "Bob, isn't isn't that fake?" And and of course, it's it's set up as you know, it is set up to have to have certain people do well. It's predetermined, well. sure. Yeah, predetermined, but it's but a lot of the wrestling's very real. I mean, the stuff. And Bob Geigel says, "Sure, it's real." He says, and he says, "I saw you. You gave somebody a sleeper hold uh, one time." He says, "Yeah." He said, "You know, I could put you in a sleeper hold right now on live television if you'd like." Oh, no, no. And, and, and the guy said, oh, come on. And Geigel said, I looked at him, he had a perfect chicken neck. He said, if you had a long chicken neck, that's how Bob described it. He said, so he said, I said, I, I told the people, if you give some money, I will put him in a sleeper hold right now. But the, the money started rolling in, and Bob put a sleeper hold on live television. The guy pees his pants. He said, <laughs> he, <laughs> he falls to the floor. There was another guy at the Woodlands that went up to Bulldog Bob Brown, an employee, worked in valet parking. And Ted goes up to Bulldog Bob Brown and said, that was fake. That was fake. And Bulldog gives him a, a, a slap to the throat and knocks his Adam's apple in the back of his throat. He says, is that fake? Is that too, is that, is that real to you? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now the Bulldog would uh, be sued to death. <laughs> so oh that... <laughs> yeah, but we didn't, we didn't care. We didn't care. It was all part of the, it was all the, the you captured it. The atmosphere at the, what was the carnival atmosphere? I was, was the real And I was so lucky to be the guy that gets to stir the pot. Oh my gosh. And yes. To be the guy. And all I had to do, all I had to do was, just know everybody, which is wonderful. You go to from table to table. This person's here tonight. Uh, this person's here, and uh, of course the wrestlers. Everybody knew who they were, so it was like it was like a wrestling museum. And the guy that made that possible was Al Myers, former Kansas City, Kansas police chief, and he did. He knew all the wrestlers because every Thursday night at Memorial Hall, he provided security. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so he's the guy. He's the guy who ran security that brought all the wrestlers in. It was an ingenious idea. I had no idea because, that was why. Interesting. That's why. That's why. Alan Myers did all of that. Alan was a good guy. He's called Smiling Al. I go down and see his million-dollar smile. I had a little saying for every person. I even had uh, <laughs> every every waitress had their nickname. And it of was course. Just, Every, it was insane. Hey, it's it more fun that way. You personalize everything, and that's in. Yes, yes. And very that, fun. And, that, and then what happens is your audience, and it happened in wrestling, your audience has an emotional tie to you. Yeah. That, you're more than just someone they put 
a ten dollars down for a ticket for. No, you're so, this person knows me. This person cares. It's like a family. Yes, yes. And then you got then you have something. I always try to I try to do that with my internet show too, and I always did that in radio. Just pretend there's one person there. There's one person there. But the beautiful thing about the Woodlands and the, and what I'm doing now on Big Jack with Betty.net is that person you know that person. You know, you're you're making that person happy instantly, mm-hmm. and boy, that's that's a really great deal. No, you've been I great really, at that I, for many decades, Randy. Oh, it's just been, you know, I I have been very lucky, very blessed, and uh, Miss Birch keeps telling me, "Or when are you going to retire?" And I said, "You know, I, I and I tell my players this: I would like to retire, but after 46 years of broadcasting, I've never really worked, so I don't know. Uh, I it gives me purpose. I think all the time. I I make people happy, and uh, gosh, if you're able to do that, uh. You know, and, and I I had some tough times as a kid due to family situations and that. So I always have this thing where the wolf could always be at the door. Sure. You know? So I, I have this I have this stuff where you never can make too much money. No, I, I think yeah, that sounds pr- – and I think purpose is the biggest thing. I mean, like I've had oh, – yeah. after having a father who retired set pretty early and then after six months he was bored, <laughs> you know, and, and then he yeah, lost oh, purpose yeah, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. And your mind – the beautiful thing about the, the I call them the odd squad, because they're some of the oddest people in the world, but I just love them. I call them the odd squad, and they love the, uh, is, I, I now do all these other things with them. I mean, there's not a moment, uh, I, I do fantasy, I do fantasy baseball, the draft is Monday. We did fantasy football, oh, fantasy cool. basketball. I do fantasy golf with these people, where we put money in the pool. I mean, it's like, it, it's like a fraternity and the part of the frat party never stops. Sometimes I wish it would. I mean, I'll be sitting there having lunch and say, say, hey, Randy, did you hear about this? You ought to mention this on your show tonight. And I was like, oh, geez. You know, but, but the only bizarre thing about what I do, and it's a wonderful thing, really, is since 2010, I started doing this in Hollywood on the Internet. I don't have anybody to give it to. You know, the only way I could do it is have you stay at my house, Chris, and show you how to use all the equipment and all the computer stuff. But because we invented this, I don't. So when I go on vacation, like my grandson's graduating in Denver in May, I'm going to go to his graduation that afternoon, and I'll be back in the hotel room. We're ready to do a live show at 6 o'clock. Oh, wow. It's just like this. It's like that all the time. It's like the, you know, but. I also know that we're lifting up handles, bringing in millions of dollars, and people are people are, you know, like like they're doing with other things. You have all the animal rights people; they're after the horse racing industry. They they shut down the circus. They're after, you know, sure. And so you have so you're doing a good thing. You're doing you're because the the animals are treated beautifully, and and uh, that's what they love to do. And uh, but you have all these people. Uh, that that are trying to put you out of business. So I, I, I look at it as I'm helping some people, farmers that raise animals, people that are good people, that are doing the right thing. They love the animals. They, they, they do, they're all adopted. And, and uh, you know, I'm preserving their way of life. I'm kind of like you were with wrestling. You were, you, were, you, were, you were not only canonizing it, but you were helping preserve it. I mean, it's, it's something that, that we need, to, you know, that the, the people need to know that existed in and that type of thing, and it's it's a wonderful thing you do. I love this. I love the stuff you do. Uh, and uh, Casey on the mat was just classic. I, I watched Bill Gregsby, and of course, Bill Gregsby. I knew every story he ever told. Bill Gregsby, he may he may have as many stories as you. He he was a man oh, of good lord. Oh, oh, he was just he would come out a typical Saturday for a while. I would get done doing a matinee and he would have me come to the sports show and he'd have me do duck races and he'd have these ducks lined up and I do duck races. And then I'd go back and do the evening uh, show. I mean, we did stuff like that. Uh, Greg's all the time. I mean, he, he had uh, one day he calls me up. He said, Randy, I want you to talk to the general manager. PD Nick and I are going to get the sports talk show going to this little station and we need your help to, to do this. And so we all met at jazz and Vic, of course, who owns jazz, loved Bill. And uh, loved the woodlands. Matter of fact, I had we had it all set up. He was going to do a shuttle system to shuttle people over from Jazz Restaurant and uh, the Legends over to the woodlands. He was going to have a free sh- shuttle bus service. He was going to do that. We gave away gift certificates to uh, to Jazz. Oh, I love time. Jazz. Yeah. Oh yeah, but but that, but we were all part of a community, and uh, you know, 
the thing about the internet is everything is local now. Everything is everything is. Uh, it's it's hard to have those niche businesses where people want to go to. Yeah, movie movie theaters are dealing with it now too. People don't go to movies because sure. they sit there and watch it out. Same type of thing, uh, but they're really miss. People are missing out. And wrestling on Thursday nights in this town at Memorial Hall was a religion. It was. It was, it was something that that you couldn't get any other place. You and and the the characters, the wrestlers, were were bigger than life. I mean, when I went up, Bob Geigel went in the Hall of Fame in Newton, Iowa. The Wrestling Hall of Fame is in all places, Newton, Iowa. It's a great place. Have you ever been there? I haven't. It's it. You know, it was Newton, and then is it in Waterloo now? Because it's like it might be. It, it might. I think it might have moved. But when but when he was up there, he, that was yeah, where it was. Two thousand three. It was in Newton, Iowa, and there, up getting in the Hall of Fame. I saw Greg Ganya, Bob Geigel, and uh, who was the guy with the Iron Claw? Oh, Baron von Rasky. Rasky, yeah. Baron von Rasky up there, personally friend. Uh, the the wrestler who had this suitcase full of bricks, he'd hit over people's heads. Oh yeah, I, he was there. So it was like, so I drive, and this is so Bob Geigel. I drive up Kansas City to Newton, which is about four hours, because because he said, "Randy, you better be there." From I'm going to the Hall of Fame. I, I said, "Yeah, I'll be there, Bob. I'll be there." So I drove up. It was a Saturday, and uh, I get up there, and all these people speak and tell these beautiful stories. <laughs> Bob Geigel gets up there. And I swear to God, he says, I just thank the, all you people for here, having me here and to be in the Hall of Fame. And he said, all I could say to all of it is I'd like to thank my mother for having me. And then he sits down. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, you asked, there was shots and all the family. I said, you SOB, I have four hours and you say, I want to thank my mom for having me. <laughs> One sentence. That's what I came up here for. Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh, God. But, but the stories, you know, the stories of the the wrestling was, uh, and they had a they had a fraternity. I mean, they had a real the wrestlers. Uh, they they loved each other, and they all loved Bob Geigel because they knew Bob was looking out for them. They, they did. He was a he was he's known as a you know a pretty just a down to earth guy, which can be taken and construed as a simple man. But he was just like oh a, no, he oh was he just, was he was very he smart. Was but he was dumb, dumb as a fox. Don't kid yourself. He owned land. Uh, he was Texas Bob Geigel when he was down in, in Texas. He owned land down there. He made some wise investments. Bob was a very smart man. Very. Smart so man. I have to ask but you he, one more but, question. But he, didn't like, he, he didn't like evil people trying to screw people. Of course. He didn't like that. And that's, and that's why you asked me why he stayed at the Woodlands so long. He saw the evil that these people were trying to do to the Woodlands by taxing them out of business. It, yeah. meant, it meant something to him. You're trying to take away my family type of thing you understand yeah. he he fought he fought tooth and nail with the uh the uh the folks the vince mcmahon i mean he he went he told me he went over to st louis and tried to cut a deal uh vince mcmahon tried to buy them out and then he wanted to he, he, he would pay him three months three months and then cut them all loose and bob wasn't going to do that to his friends he wasn't going to do that so sure bob bob tried to keep it going but the inevitability of it if you know was cable was on Cable television would have it on for, for free for four nights a week, and they have all the best wrestlers. Why would they go to Memorial Hall and watch it when they could sit in their house and watch it three, four times a week? And that was the, and of course, in the 90s, you remember wrestling television cable was huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, I was working there during the highlight of it. It was, it was, yeah. we were, they were hitting like nine and tens on the ratings. Oh, during Raw. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You had, you, you, they owned it at night. They owned it at night. And, uh, you know, so Bob, Bob in his own way would say, you know, Vince McMahon might have been a little smarter than Bob Geigel. He'd always talk about himself in in, Pat, in third person. See, he may have been a little smarter than Bob Geigel, but he was still an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask you one more question before I let you go, Randy. Yeah. Did you ever yes. get to go into the museum or the house that he lived in for 60 years, and in his basement he had his walls lined with autographed pictures of everyone? Did you ever get to go in Bob's house? Oh yes, yes, yes! I did. It was he was so place. proud of. He was so proud. He took me through all of it. Here, one of the sad deals. There was a house. I was looking to buy a house, and uh, there's a house right across from his. He, he took me there for lunch. He had all kinds of memorabilia. Just, you know, I don't know what happened to all of that. But for a wrestling fan, they would love that stuff. I don't know, you know. But Bob, Bob, every week. Randy, that house is still for sale across from me. He lived north of the river. 
at, at uh, off 56th Street up there, and he'd say, that house across the street is still, are you going to buy that house or not? And he didn't have the heart to tell them that, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to, to buy it a place that, you know, the property, the uh, where, where the value is going to grow. So I ended up buying a house over in Western Johnson County. Sure. Where the, the, it was a good investment. It was a great investment. But, you know, it's hard when your friend wants you to live across the street. <laughs> and, and you can't tell them, well, Bob, I don't want to do this because I'm going to lose value. <laughs> you know, Bob, you, you live know, in a horrible neighborhood, Bob. I don't was, want to live he there. Was determined, he was determined to get me. One day at lunch, we're out there. Well, you want to go over and look at that place again, Randy? I had my wife there. We walked through it. And, and uh, so that, you know, and if you missed a Tuesday lunch with Bob, Randy, you abandoned me. He probably me, you abandoned me. Are we going to get together? I, and especially when it was really, when I started Big Jackpot for track data, I was working at, you know, up to eight, eight, nine racetracks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was on all the time, all the time. And I didn't have the heart to tell Bob, how do you explain to somebody who's never been in the chat room all the stuff you're trying to do? Oh, oh, yeah. We, you, you can't explain that no, to him. So, no. so we get together other times. But I, sadly, I didn't get to see him that much toward the end. But uh, as I told one person who interviewed me about him, I had I can definitely say I had more lunches with Bob Geigel than I did my own mother. <laughs> I had more lunches with 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 him, and, and uh, but that was his big deal. So his family put together lunch, and I told stories about bob at the lunch and we all we all got together we all had a million stories and and normally it was about the same thing he would help you in any way he could he would help you he he i remember when i went to buy this house after i told him i wasn't going to buy the house across the street from him randy you need some money for that he said you need you need eight ten grand you come to bob geigel i'll help you do it (laughs) He, he that's the way he was that's the way he was and anybody who knew him knows exactly i'm telling the truth no he was a great guy did, I, oh man i mean you know and uh, the stories he told he saw a lot in his lifetime i mean he was a he was a, he was on the uh, a ship when harry harry Truman, uh, dropped the bomb in 1945 bob was offshore in, in japan was sitting on a ship he was part of the invasion crew he, he would have been bob he said you know not for harry truman it might not have been a bob geigel because he was he was literally he was literally on a ship on the invasion force and then of course he was he ended up he was a farm kid from Algona Iowa and his his dad didn't want to ha- have him wrestle because he was worked at the farm mm-hmm. and uh, a, a college coach a high school coach first came out and talked about talked his dad into it he said well if he could get his chores done he could do it and Bob in wrestling was an all-american at the University of Iowa he was uh, all-American football player. He was drafted by the Chicago Cardinals, but people don't realize in the 1950s, uh, wrestling was much bigger than, than professional football. So Bob could make Bob could make more money wrestling every week than he could play in professional football. So Bob chose Bob Bob chose wrestling over that, and uh, the the people he knew in his lifetime. I always thought, and I never could get Bob interested in this, but I wanted to sit down and write a book about him. Because he had such an unbelievable life. I mean, just to, you know, uh, un- unreal the stuff the stuff he encountered. But uh, you know, you, you you wish you could do a lot of things you never get to when you get when you get busy. But uh, he was sure a great friend. He was a great friend. Rufus R. Jones was as nice a man as you'd ever meet in your life. Every Sunday, his wife Brooksy would bring a sweet potato pie, and we'd all gather down in the security office to have have a slice of sweet potato pie that Brooksy would make. And uh, that's the way it was. That's the way it was all the time. We'd have we'd have up on the roof on Kentucky Derby days, and that we'd have we'd have a potluck up on the roof, and we'd everybody bring a, a dish. And of course, I ended up going buying something somewhere because I couldn't cook a damn thing. So, <laughs> so you know, but we did. They, there was that sense of community with the wrestlers, especially that uh, it was just it was a, a, a great thing. And uh, uh, we they, the other thing that was interesting about it. And this this might have been an Al Myers idea. I don't know, but he always had the wrestlers in the same spot every day. Every day you would come in, and you knew that Bob Geigel would be against that north wall. You knew that Rufus R. Jones would be sitting. You knew that Mike George was at the end of the escalator. So for the fans, this is these are people we watch in the ring, and now they're they're sitting there. And I know where he is. I'll take you. To, I I know him. I'll I'll introduce you to him. I'll take you to him. 
and, and so it, it set up this sense of community that was wonderful. And the wrestlers were, and you can, you know, the, the gambling was big. I had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, the people love the dogs and people love the atmosphere and fun, but the wrestlers were a big part of the success of that place for about, I mean, there, there, there were, you know, and it was the same, it was the same reason I loved them because I remembered being that little kid that would watch him on a Saturday morning. And mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly these bigger than life characters are Randy's friends. Let's go get a, let's go get a beer, Randy. Let's go do, Oh, it was just wonderful. Well, Randy, it, it, it was, oh, it was, they were just great friends. And, uh, God, I miss a ball, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Mike. I need to call him over at the casino and have lunch with him one of these days. You should. You should have a Tuesday lunch with him Tuesday, in memory of Bob. Lunch. The Tuesday lunches has to, be, has to be. I've had him on my Internet show, and I will tell you, when I put Mike George on my Internet show, the chat room fills up and people have a million questions for him. I've had him on a couple of times. Of uh, all the old wrestling fans. Uh, it, it, there's something about sports. If you're into one sport, you're usually into other things. The guys that are dog racing fans or wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike is a Mike. Mike, has, of course, his sh- mind is very sharp, mm-hmm. and it makes him sad because all of his friends from that era are gone. They are all of them are. the Viking, the Viking, all of them are are gone, and, and uh, so I, I need to I need to get a hold of him. And he's a, he's just a he's a great guy. He's a great guy. And he's uh, and I'll and I'll tell you what. He was at, he sat by that escalator for eighteen years in the woodlands. Every time I saw him, I could definitely say no one tried to steal that escalator. <laughs> we had we had people come that were were threats to the woodlands, but Mike guarded that escalator just beautifully. He'd say, "You're not going to talk about me in the escalator again today." I said, "Mike, I might have to get it in once or twice." <laughs> I had I always had that I always had that thing. Whenever somebody would a gambler would get mad at me or whatever, I I'd, I'd say. Well, you can say that, but I want you to know something. I've got 7,000 people here tonight, and I'm going to have the microphone all night. So you can say whatever you want, but I want you to remember that. <laughs> yep, you wield a powerful weapon there, that's for sure. Well, Randy, I appreciate the memories, and thanks for joining us uh, this week. Listen, sorry, I probably drug on with all the stories, but I love what you did with Casey and the Matt. I love what you did with the fun of the run. I can't thank you enough for that. A lot of people, hundreds of thousands. If you look, it says over 100,000 hits on YouTube. A lot of people watch that. I, I wish it I, at the time it was a perfect, perfect vehicle. Uh, but when people are bought off and corrupt, there's really nothing you can do about it. I, so I appreciate your kind words, Randy. All right, thank you, my friend, and, and great to talk to you again. You too, buddy. It's the worst territory. Well, there you have it, the interview with my friend Randy Birch, and he had a lot to say, obviously, about the Woodlands Racetrack, about his friendship with Bob Geigel, and just love going down memory lane with Randy about just not only professional wrestling, but the Woodlands, because, again, if you grew up in the 90s in Kansas City, you definitely knew all about the Woodlands Racetrack. I want to thank Gabe Miller for providing nothing in this show. Hopefully he'll be back next time and he can help edit some of this or something but uh, thanks a lot for listening to another episode of the worst territory in the world we'll have more coming up on professional wrestling in kansas city and the rest of the central states area then and now on future episodes i am chris goff we'll see you next time it's the worst territory